Hey, it's me, Marquis. Did you know that we have a YouTube channel? And it's the number one place on the platform for all things Asana. Inside, you'll find demos and tutorials that cover everything from getting started with Asana to how-tos on how to utilize the more advanced business and enterprise features that power the workflows of hundreds of thousands of satisfied users around the world. Visit asanasolutions.com to subscribe, like, and follow along so you don't miss a thing. Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis. I'm your host. And today I am really excited to be uh, bringing this episode to you. I'm doing a little bit something different. Longtime listeners will know this has primarily been an audio podcast. And so in the recent episodes, we started to convert to more of a video podcast where now we'll have video episodes on YouTube in full length. And then we will be taking the audio and putting it on all the platforms that you are currently listening to and subscribe to. And thank you so much for your loyalty and your following over the years. And so if at any point, you know, we're talking about something that is more visual and you can't understand, just head over to YouTube. You'll see the full episode recording there. And I do want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the System Builder Academy. So the System Builder Academy is a place where we're bringing together business leaders and ops-minded professionals, and we're all coming together to really just talk about process improvement, systems and the tools we all use and love every single day, tools like Asana, tools like Notion and HubSpot and so much more. And inside, we even have free resources, exclusive events and content. And really, we're just creating a place where we can have open, open community, where we can ask questions and really engage in conversation. So head over to System Builder Academy, register your free account today. And I can't wait to see you on the inside. And so for today, I'm excited because I'm talking with David Carter. David is a serial entrepreneur, better known as the world's leading CEO mentor. He has well over 40 years uh, and a track record in creating innovative businesses and mentoring leaders and influencers globally. He's the founder of the IntelliKey Academy, a legacy project where he brought together brilliant minds in education, coaching and professional organizations to support millions in becoming the best versions of themselves. And today we'll be talking about the impact of technology on the future of work. Welcome to the show, David. Good to have you here. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. It's delightful to be with you. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm so glad you could take the time out. I know you, you said you're where currently in Oxford, London or out, outside of Oxford, London. Is, is that correct? Uh, no, Oxford it, isn't in it, London. Oxford is about 75 miles north of, of London, and I live 30 miles west of Oxford in a beautiful right. part of the English countryside called the Cotswolds. Amazing. Thanks for correcting me. Yes, of course, Oxford is not in London. I do know <laughs> my geography, but thanks so much for that. Uh, thanks for being here and taking the time out, David. I'd love to get started on just learning more about you and really understanding if you can tell me more about your career path and how you really developed the skills necessary to get to the place that you're at today. 
Gosh, well, I'm very old, so that might take a very long time. So I'll try and keep it short and brief. Sure. Um, so, um, and I think this might come up in some of our conversation later. So um, I'm very dyslexic, um, yeah. which is a, such a beautiful gift. Um, so I left school at the age of 18 because I didn't feel I had the ability to be a self-directed learner and go through college and university. And besides, I wanted to get on with life. Yeah. Um, and so um, I ended up spending the first 10 years of my career in investment banking and venture capital. And I was very fortunate. I worked for a, an American bank and uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank, HSBC. And I lived in seven countries around the world for more than a year during those that 10-year period, Far yeah. East, Middle East, Europe, East to West Coast America. And what I became fascinated in, which has been a red thread throughout my life, is how come those two companies started in the same town in the same year with the same idea and access to the same resources, but 10 years later, one's 27 times bigger than the other one. What did they do or have that the other one didn't do or have? Okay. And I always used to call that performance X factor. And we'll come back to that later, I'm sure, when we talk about IntelliKey and character. Please. Um, anyway, um, after 10 years of doing that, I had an amazing boss, amazing mentor who called me into his office in March for appraisal and said, well, young man, record year, record sales, record bonus, record everything. I think it's time you moved on. You're on the wrong side of the table. Stop consulting and financing entrepreneurs and go and be one. Yeah. So my last paycheck was in June of 1988, uh, a long time ago. Uh, um, and in those there was none of the sophistication that there is in finance today with C, pre-seed, series A, B, C, D, E, F, G, HR tech, FinTech, and all the other techs. Right. It was people, projects, and money. <clears throat> so a lot more exciting because you looked at different verticals and things every every day. But I would ended up going into a firm to look at the performance X factor. What was it that set that company apart from you know the rest? In, in their competitive space and to cut a long story short it came down to character and so anyway the next 10 years of my entrepreneurial career I did two startups in the UK hospitality industry the first one I built up and sold to the PGA the second one I built up and floated on the stock market I had the thrill and joy and delight of being the best performing share on the AIM stock market and the ignominy and shame of being the worst performing. Um, and after 10 years of doing that, uh, and I was the CEO of a public company that I'd started, um, I had a tectonic plate shift in my personal life. Yeah. And I ended up being a single parent with a seven-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son and I decided to have a different career path so I could take good care of my children so I resigned my public company CEO role and um, whilst I was busy thinking about what I wanted to do next people approached me and said oh could you help me decide whether to go public or not raise some money 
buy another business, change my board, change my strategy, uh, expand overseas, whatever it was. And so because that's what I've been doing for the t previous 20 years, I helped them do that. Better. And it's quite a funny story, but a couple of years after doing that, I still hadn't found what I wanted to do next. I was having Sunday lunch with my parents, and my mum said, it's going so well for you, isn't it? And I said, well, it is going well, Mum, but I've got no time to think about what I want to do next. And she said, oh, I thought this was what you were doing next. Fair. And so as I drove home that day in the car, I thought, you know, I'm really good at this. I love doing it. It pays the bills and it makes a difference in the world. And so unless I can think of a reason for this not to be what I'm doing next in the morning, this is what I'm going to do. And so it was over the next 15 years, I had built up what eventually became the world's leading chief executive mentoring company with offices and clients around the world. And that takes us to about 10 years ago. And then about 10 years ago, I, for all sorts of reasons, partly personal to do with my children who are now at the emptying the nest stage, I wanted to move back to the UK from the US. And I was bored. Um, there wasn't another region to open. I felt I'd got the rocket into orbit and it was orbiting nicely and <clears throat> there were better people to run it than me. And I wanted to democratize what we were doing with a small number of expensive C-suite clients and make it available to anyone, anywhere. <laughs> and that is what Entelechy is all about. It's it's essentially taking what we did for a small number of super expensive fee-paying clients and democratizing it and making it available to everyone around the world. Incredible. So that, in, in five minutes, is my personal journey. Um, and even though that's what I decided to do 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I hadn't got a clue how to do it. So I, I spent probably three or four years thinking about how to do it, researching it. And that was when I wrote my book, Breakthrough, uh, which became a bestseller. And that took me around the world doing book tours and speaking tours, a lot of work on television and radio. And, and then, about six years ago, I got clarity around how I could create what is now IntelliKey. Okay. But like all good entrepreneurial stories, there was a few train wrecks and near disasters on the journey. And uh, three years ago, on the 1st of February, we had a £2 million underwriting for our final investment round, which was due to complete on the 13th of March. And of course, between the 1st of February and 13th of March, COVID happened and that fundraising didn't materialize. We tried various plans to keep the business afloat, but very sadly had to put it to sleep and put it into administration. <laughs> and so in June, two and a half years ago, three years ago nearly, I lost everything. Um, and had to start again. And uh, after the ignominy and shame of having to let 30 amazing colleagues go and all of my shareholders losing everything. Well, um, one of my old shareholders, who was a very senior um, shareholder and he was a non-executive director, he said to me, 
one day walking my dog around Hyde Park in London. You know, David, none of the shareholders are cross with you. They're all worried about you and they feel upset for you that this happened. And just to let you know, if you want to go again, we'll all back you. Wow. And um, so that was probably one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me in my life. Very humbling. Um, and so what a months testament. later... What, what a testament, if I can just interject quickly, to, to your character, right? The fact that all this would transpire and you have these people who are invested come alongside you and say, hey, we'll still back you. We're still here. How did that make you feel at the time? Were you feeling like a, re a renewed sense of energy and, and drive or like what was happening then? Um, it was a very, very difficult time. Um, I felt very humbled. I felt very grateful. I felt very validated. Um, all in the same, all at the same time. Hey. And I had, you know, about 40 shareholders who all lost their money. Uh, Peter, the shareholder I'm talking to about, he lost like three quarters of a million pounds. Wow. And he, he, he and 14 other shareholders put up all the money we needed to get this business going again. Um, and that enabled me to hire half a dozen of the old team, put them back together. So um, I think uh, you can tell the story lots of different ways, but the truth is sure. I had to I had to pick myself up, dust myself down, and, and uh, having lost everything, start again, which at age 60, one was, you know, not impossible, but it was, you know, uh, it was hard work. And so I think the joy has really been in the last 12 months where all of that hard work and the effort of the team has come together with a product now that we've got product market fit with that is really going to make a difference in the world to millions of people. So the joy that I have now is that I had the courage, had the conviction, had the resilience to give it another shot. My mother used to say, failure isn't falling down, failure is staying down. Wow. And <clears throat> so with the voice of my dearly beloved mother in my head, I thought, okay, you've got to stand up, get back on the horse and give it another go. And that was all in the middle of lockdown and you know financial crisis and everything else. But we have survived and we're thriving now. Um, and couldn't have done it without the amazing support of those fantastic investors. Um, and, you know, of course, one of my motivations is I want to make sure they make lots of money on this investment to make up the loss on, on the old one. So I feel a kind of sense of moral yeah. obligation <laughs> to them. And I want to make sure that all my team do very well out of this and they love the business, which they all do as much as I do. And... Yeah, so we're on the path to an IPO in three or four years' time. Um, I plan to make one of my existing senior leadership team the CEO within the next 12 months so I can carry on in the company as the executive chairman, but I'm going to focus more on scaling overseas and strategic partnerships around the world rather than running the day-to-day -day business. Um, yeah. And then... So the company's had a new CEO who's younger and 
more vibrant than me uh, running the business for a couple of years when we do the IPO in a few years' time. But okay. we, um, we've raised about £7 million in the last three years. Um, wow. For a pre-revenue seed, you know, pre-seed business, um, we have now this this our second round, which we're closing at the end of June. It was a five million pound round, and we've got four million pounds of it in the bank and committed. So we've only got twenty percent left to go. We've got a nice pipeline of interesting investors we're talking to, and. So I feel the last three years has probably been the hardest work three years I've ever done in my entire life. No kidding. Um, um, But it's also, you know, I didn't have a choice. When I did it, I had had two choices. I could have shot myself and put an end to it all and and suffered the ignominy of the collapse or picked myself up, dusted myself down and had another go and Fortunately, I think because of character, uh, I, people knew that what happened wasn't my fault and uh, they didn't blame me. And so, and I had a great team with a great idea. The the, the new business, Entelechy, is very different to the business because we realized during lockdown that the world had a new set of problems that I'm sure we'll talk about today, that... Yeah. There was a better solution to than the one we were building before. So I think Intelligy Academy, bizarrely, has benefited from the collapse of the old company because it made us think about what's necessary in the future rather than resurrecting something from the past. It's it, it's really interesting how that happens, right? It, it takes the sometimes failure or the ceasing of one moment right, to bring clarity to another moment. And like here, I think it was your mother, you said, you know, failure is not falling down, it's staying down. My similar mantra that I'll repeat to myself that's in the same kind of wheelhouse is, I'm not a product of my circumstances, I'm a product of my decisions, right? And so there there was an instance in my entrepreneurial journey where I was met with a decision, nothing to on the scale of what you had to go through and thankfully you took the higher road, but I mean, we all have decisions to make. And so, um, I love that, that you kind of like run your, your day by these kind of practices and, and thoughts. And I'm really curious to understand because you mentioned that there were some points of clarity along the way that led you to the point that IntelliKey is at today. I'm curious what some of those were. You're, you started to talk about, you know, new ways of doing things. COVID made things more evident. What did some of those points of clarity look like for you to help you shape and rethink and, you know, start fresh? Um, gosh. Well, um, let's initially talk about the obvious. You know, the sure. world has, for the last three years, been subjected to a tyrannical fear porn regime. Huh. You know, lock yourself down, stay at home, avoid contact with people, and um, and maybe we'll talk about this later. But um, I think that the world's media has been hijacked. Yep. 
oh sorry, you disappeared. The world's media has been hijacked by the technocracy. So anybody who doesn't follow the narrative um, has been censored, deplatformed, um, and so we've only been allowed to wander around in the echo chamber of the narrative that the fear porn mongers wanted the world to believe. You know that was the state of the world, <laughs> and um, you know maybe we'll talk about it later. But you know, young people who leave college or university and go into the world of work are not work ready. They might be highly technically trained, but they are not trained in the work ready skills that employers assume that people turn up with on autopilot. Yeah. Um, they're not naturally creative or collaborative or communicative they have very poor critical thinking skills. Okay. They're not organized. They're not disciplined. They're not reliable or responsible. Um, and as employers, you know, assume that everybody's like that, aren't they naturally? Well, of course, they're not if they're not taught how to be that. And so one of the things that... Um, when we show young people the 54 character qualities that underpin the development of all skills, hard skills, technical skills, soft skills, the number one question is, why weren't we taught this at college or at university or school? You know, it's like these yeah. are life skills that we absolutely need. But the other thing is, and I'm making a sweeping generalization here, um, but it applies to certainly 80 plus percent of young people, is they've never been taught how to learn. They've been um, given knowledge and then they've been assessed on their understanding of the knowledge, but they've never really been taught to learn. So you now give them 54 new concepts like being organized, efficient, reliable, whatever. And they go, yeah, I can see how I'd be really benefited if I was good at those things. But how, how do I learn to do that? Yeah. And, you know, and and it's not, you know, the way the, the academic system works is they are assessed on what they were taught, not what they've learned and applied. You know, a, a big global consulting company that we talked to recently, for the previous three years, they'd put all, you know, 10,000 employees, more than that, through a week-long time management course. They ended up agreeing at the end of three years and impacted time management capability at all. And I, I looked at the course and I looked at the quiz at the end of the course and they didn't understand how 95% of the people in the quiz had scored 95%. I said, you're hiring smart MBA university graduates. Yeah. And they go in a classroom for a week and at the end of the week, they have to pass a multiple choice quiz on what they were taught that week. How are you surprised they don't get 95%? Right. Well, why didn't they? Why didn't it show up in the workplace? So I said, oh, that's a different thing. They were assessed on what they were taught. Now you need to put in place ways in which they can become good at the underpinning character qualities that are required for time management skills, and you need to assess the application and the learning of it. Okay. And so... 
Anyway, so I, I'm ready to go back around your question. Um, no, it's okay. So we, we came at this to the world has been turned upside down in the last three years, and now it's going to be turned upside down yet again with AI and chat GBT and all the rest of it. Yeah. And um, what people don't realize is that there is a technology agenda for the world which no one's ever voted for that's going to make a few people in Silicon Valley and elsewhere extremely wealthy or even more wealthy that none of us have voted for. None of us have any choice in now whether it gets unleashed on the world or not. And, you know, for the people on the podcast, you won't be able to see I'm holding up my mobile phone, but we're all already on the verge of becoming transhumans in that we can't operate without this damn device glued to us 24 hours a day. Yeah. And, of course, that device knows everything about us, where we are, who we're with, what we're eating, drinking, watching, where we are, who we're It knows everything about us. And, you know, the plan is for us to be put inside us so we can even have our mental state or emotional state altered. So there is an agenda to turn the population of the world into more of a transhuman world than it already is. Quickly, David, and, and um, become... I'm, I'm curious. You, you mentioned that no one's asked for this, no one's voted for it. Do you feel like it's needed? Is this like a necessary part of our evolution to adopt this technology, to give the technology all of our information, to lean in to AI? Or do you think that there are, you know, parts or industries that, you know, can continue to sustain themselves and to continue to grow without needing to lean on the technology? Or are we all just destined or doomed, destined to, to get to this other side, depending on how you look at it? Um, I'm going to answer a slightly different question, if you don't mind. So I, sure. I, I think the destiny, the destiny, the direction of travel is pretty much set now um and um there is so much investment that's so well advanced that's already in place that is just going to keep unleashing itself and rolling itself out going to end up in a much more dystopian techno um hell anyway the, the However, the point of Entelechy Academy is that in order for the world to not become robots, we need to raise our consciousness, and that we raise the way we raise our consciousness is through dialing up our character. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we use AI in our app. There is an AI coach in our app, but it is surrounded by safeguarding tools and techniques that the only thing it can help you do is improve the 54 character qualities okay um and so we do use ai and we use machine learning but i think we're using them for positive purposes um and so but i think you know I promise you, in two years' time, if anyone remembers this interview, they were going to say, 
well, that lunatic David Carter, you know, he he's turned out to be right because actually now they are wanting us to not have vaccines anymore, but they're wanting us to have a chip in our arm, which is mm-hmm. linked to our mobile phone, sends and receives data and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I think people need to wake up, you know, uh, the percentage of jobs that exist today that will be replaceable within a few years' time by a robot is yeah. staggeringly high. And so let's work on the assumption that if a robot can do the job, it will do the job. So the only jobs that humans will end up doing are those jobs that robots can't do, and they're the ones that require human skills. Yeah. And in a all, but you know, in August this year, I'm hopefully going to be delivered my first grandchild, and so the the okay. joy and the emotions that I'm going to feel, and the duty and responsibility to my daughter and my of my grandchild, no computer or robot can ever feel that. Right? No, no computer or robot could ever go through what I went through a few years ago with the demise of the old business and having to pick myself up and dust myself down. But I wouldn't swap that experience for anything. It it makes me human. Um, and so we all need to be a lot more human if we want to stop being turned into robots. And there is a big agenda for us to be turned into robots. And so if you want to go along with yeah. that and be a robot, you know where to sign up. Right. But if you don't want to be a robot, you want to maintain your humanity and sovereignty over your own soul, then you need to dial up being more human. And is that where IntelliKey really comes in to bridge the gap between technology and human? Because for me, I have lots of thoughts around this topic, right? I, I feel we're going to see, yes, an upswing in the need for technology and AI and Maybe we're already seeing it with tech company layoffs. Maybe it has nothing to do with the recession. And it's all about these companies seeing that technology can replace human beings. But I, I'm foreseeing, you know, a, a time in the future where more than ever, we'll be craving this human connection. We'll be craving more of the real. We'll be craving more in-person events and speaking and handwritten books and letters, right? We'll be craving that authenticity if, if it's not you know, us missing it, it will be out of, you know, simply nostalgia. And so I can go off on some rabbit holes. I'm not going to go there today, but let's bring it back to the IntelliKey Academy. Then the question is, is, is the goal to, you know, teach on these necessary skills that were missed in schools? And then again, bridge that gap between the human and the technology so that we can really be the best versions of ourselves. So let's start off with the word entelechy. Please. Um, it was a word coined by Aristotle. So the entelechy of a thing is the ultimate version of that thing with all of its potential fully actualized. Okay. So the entelechy of an acorn is an oak tree. The entelechy of a caterpillar is a butterfly. Right. And uh, the entelechy of Marquis is the very best ultimate version of you with all of your potential fully actualized. Well, uh, who wouldn't want to become their entelechy? Right. Ultimately. And that, it means different things to different people. It could be being your entelechy as a primary school teacher or as a mum or 
as a dad or a partner or a colleague or an entrepreneur or an admiral in the Navy. It doesn't really matter, you know, or, or, or a soccer star. But everyone has got their entelechy. Now, we believe that every baby born on this planet is born with eight million, all 54 of our character qualities. And that that ability gets knocked out of you in school, at home, in your church, in the media, in society. Wow. And and but you were born with that innate ability so where where lots of people say oh surely you know your character you're born with it and there's nothing you can do about it well let's just look at two or three of the character qualities so mike who's our head of enterprise when he joined us a few months ago we encourage all new employees to work on one personal character quality and one uh professional one and he tells the story much better than I do, but he decided he wanted to become more kind. <laughs> and so he would take the trash out for his wife without being asked. He'd take the dog for a walk at night round the block before bedtime without being asked. He'd, you know, collect his own laundry from the dry cleaners or whatever it was. Sure. And after, a, and he also made a point that he wanted to say please and thank you to everyone for everything they ever did during the day. And at the end of a week, his wife said to him, what drugs are they giving you at that company? You're a transformed human being. You know, where have you been all my life? And they'd be married like 30 years. Um, and so he said, you know, within a week, the benefits I got from just focusing on being more kind were dramatic. Uh -huh. And then he was us that professionally he wanted to be, I think he chose discipline, but he took his mobile phone and he put it in another room when he had some phone calls or email work to do. And so he had 90 minutes where he was focused only on his calls or his computer and wasn't distracted by his slack pings or whatever else. And he just said that discipline, he reckoned, gave him two and a half hours a day more productivity. So it, there's one colleague, who, one professional, one personal, focused on dialing up two character qualities, and a mm. month later it transformed their life. And we all in the company, and all of our clients as well, we keep real tracks on what's the character quality that you're working on and what's the evidence of efficacy a week, a month, three months later that you have transformed yourself. So uh, our experience is that it doesn't matter where the dial's set today, you can dial up any one of those 54 character qualities significantly in a day, in a week, in a month, in a quarter, in a year, and have unbelievably different results you know one of the stories i told in my book is that a ship sent to new york but its compass is five degrees off yeah it ends up in venezuela and so you know a five degree course correction in our behavior can end you up in a much better you know more beautiful place and so character isn't in stone it's the, and we have developed and created the world's first tool to enable people to do that
Incredible. Um, I'm curious, like the, the example you gave of, of your colleague here, you're, you're training these, these students, they're working on these 54, you know, character qualities. And that's incredible that you have, you know, that many to work through, but there have been, by the way, you only work on, you only work on two or three at a time. You don't work on all 54. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That'd be very difficult, but how are, how are you recommending or how would you recommend to someone listening? Like they're working on themselves, they're improving themselves. And then they take this, this work home. In this case, your colleague, he was working on discipline and, you know, being kind and doing things without being asked. And maybe it was recognized, right? By that person at home. Have there been cases where maybe it wasn't recognized or maybe as soon as they go out into the quote unquote real world, that, you know, it's not as straightforward as we would have hoped. And based on the environment that they're in and the people that they surround themselves with, it's not as effective. And so how do we, you know, I guess, help to transfer some of this learning and this knowledge and new ways of thinking to the people around us? Um, well, we've solved that problem too. So okay. um, if you imagine, um, so we want we want to find a couple of pilots in the US. So perhaps you know in your listeners or your viewers, someone might be interested in having a conversation about how to become a company of character, yeah. um, where we put the entire workforce through a, a culture change program to dial up their individual and collective character. Um, but on that journey, right at the beginning, I do a three sixty. So first of all, I look at the 54 character qualities myself and I say, right, which ones am I really good at? Which ones are my are already strengths? And which ones are my growth opportunities that I could definitely dial up and, you know, and benefit from? So now I've got my 180. Now I ask 10 of my colleagues and my family members and my line manager what uh. they think they are. So now I compare and contrast how I see myself with how everybody else sees me. Oh, so I see myself as kind, and everybody else does. That's great. I see myself as organized, but no one sees me as organized. In fact, they all see that as a growth opportunity. Whoops, maybe I need to work on being more organized. So then you figure out what the two or three things you're going to work on that could have the biggest impact. And then what we encourage people to do is to go back to their 360 panel and say, right, I've chosen to be more reliable. And over the next three months, I'm going to commit myself to being more reliable. So any tools, tips, advice, uh, feedback you want to give me, you know, please, please send it my way. Right. So first of all, I've kind of made myself accountable to 10 people who did my assessment. You said I needed to be more reliable. I'm going to be more reliable. So help me be my accountability buddy. And then during the course of the next quarter where I've set myself that goal, um, I'm inviting people to say, well, that wasn't very reliable, was it? You should have done this. Or you could have done this. Oh, yes, I could have done. Thank you very much. Yeah. And then after two or three months, if you keep per persisting with it, then people go, you know, that's really a demonstration of being a lot more reliable. That's fantastic. Love it. Do more of that. Keep that up. Yeah. And then... We then when you know you've been doing that for a month or so and you've got all this third party validated evidence then you go for an assessment 
uh, which includes your third party, but now you get a badge in being reliable. You can put on your CV or on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> and, and your signature, which is a map of all of your self-assessed and others-assessed strengths and your badges, that's who you are. So when you're applying for a promotion or a new role, you say, well, here's my bio, where I've worked, how long I've worked there for, what my response, and here's signature, which is who I am. If you hire me, you're hiring someone who has got demonstrated capability in being organized, disciplined, reliable, accountable, creative, assertive, analytical, um, expressive, whatever the harmonious. And, and it's like employers who are doing recruitment love this because it's like they're all the things that they try and figure out in an interview. But now someone's turning up with a third party validated badge yeah. that's been independently assessed that they're good at that very skill that they're looking for. Right. Um, it, it seems like you're taking the it takes a village mentality to to change these behaviors and re really reinstate or reinstill the the the, the character qualities it is it, more on yeah, that and, like and you, also you're... In, in, in the company in the company oh my gosh there's 20 other people who are working on being reliable right maybe we should put a whatsapp group together or you know meet up at lunchtime in the canteen and have a chat about it or sure. in fact i'm going to go and ask that lady about it because you know, I really admire her and she's always very nice to, you know, younger members of the team. I might get some mentoring from her or, but then inside the app, there's a community forum, video-based community forum where, you know, people who have been successful at becoming more reliable, but can share their tools and techniques and tips with everyone yeah. else in the organization. So it becomes universal where everyone in the organization, in the organization is working on one or two things, everybody. Right. And so actually I've got as a strength being kind and that's one of the things my boss has been told to work in. Maybe I could even mentor my boss. Yeah. I could give him some in, in exchange for him teaching me to be more reliable. You know, it's like, and these, this is not, you know, having to have the whole team master slack or a sarna or need technical training. Yeah, this is things that people can talk about at lunchtime and after work, and is like you know, hey, listen, I'm working on being more, more reliable at work, but guess what? My children have appreciated it. My wife appreciates it. My next door yeah. neighbor appreciates it. You know, my community, uh, church likes it. Whatever it is, you know, it's like yeah, everybody seems to like me being more reliable. So I like it myself too. Of course, you. Um, so it, it's. It's taking a village approach to raise everybody. I love it. Uh, this this question might be a big one, and it might be all the time we have left for today, David. But you said it, and I circled it. Um, it was that children, you know, they have this this entelechy that they they have it in them. They are the person who they truly are. When and then they get into schools and institutions, and you mentioned church, and it gets knocked out of them at one point. And so I have, I have two kids, they're seven years old and we see them and they are an embodiment of just, just everything. They are carefree. They are uninhibited. They, they, they can dance out in the street and they sing and they do whatever. And they have these, these grand ideas and thoughts. 
And I was watching my child outside. Um, his mom was taking them to school and he was staying on the driveway, watching through the window. And he's there and he's dancing and spinning around with his hands in the air. And I just thought he's just enjoying the moment. But at some point in his life, whether it's school or some place that he's in or some kind of organized sports, they're going to tell him that that's not appropriate, that he should stop that, that he should behave himself, right? And so if I'm understanding correctly, you're, you're talking about moments like that where institutions knock out these just inherent like um, traits that we're just born with. So how early should we be starting a lot of this, this self-discovery and, you know, um, quality, you know, kind of seeking and how can we encourage our, our kids? How can we use technology to better them and not hinder them or, you know, um, put a muzzle on them for lack of a better term. But again, how soon should we be starting and how can we use really technology to our advantage in these cases? Um, there's two parts of that question. Um, how, how, sh how soon should we start? So Entelechy Academy limited the company, uh, we donate 1% of our revenues, not profits of our revenues to a charity yeah. called the association for character education, which is teaching primary school teachers and pupils how Wonderful. to develop their character from a very young age. And by the way, all of those schools end up with an outstanding rating by the educational watchdog, and they attribute the entire turnaround of those schools to the development of character of the teachers and the pupils. Hmm. Um, and you're probably not going to like the second half of, uh, uh, of my <laughs> answer to your question, but um, I think uh, that we we've developed these packs of cards with the 54 character qualities on you know you could use an app yeah. but you know i encourage families to have a character quality of the week and stick it on the you know on the fridge and for you to hey. talk to your seven-year-old children about well who's good in your class at being accountable what does accountable mean you know yeah. how could you benefit from being more accountable um and having a, a character quality of the week. So by the end of a year, you've introduced them to all 54 character qualities. So they've added 54 concepts to their little brains. Wow. And they understand what they all are. But I'm much more in favor of in-person dialogue experiments and, and, and uh, than technology. Okay. Technology is an enabler. Um, you know, yes, as well as the pack of cards, we've got a mobile phone now. But when I'm out um, selling this, even though it's, you know, I always get the pack of cards out and shuffle them and hand them over to the person and say, well, choose the character qualities that your organization should be dialing up to enhance your profitability. And they're like, oh my gosh, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Okay, well, let's yeah. pick the, you know, it's like, so I think that. Um, you know, we have, I mean, our business is a technology-based platform. We've got a team of people in India building and improving the app all the time, um, doing our AI development, the community forum, um, signature, all of those things which are used technology, software, programs, AI, algorithms, and all the rest of it. 
all of the technology to me is a servant to us to deliver a, an improvement in people's lives. It's when we start being the servants to the technology that the world needs to wake up and and and, and turn itself around. And so um, use the technology to become more human. Uh, Don't allow the technology to take over your humanity. That's beautiful. I was going to ask you one more question on some advice you would give, but I think that sums it up perfectly. Thank you so much for that. So listeners, watchers, head over to IntelliKey.academy to learn more about what David is up to. Thank you, David, for being here today. I can't thank you enough. I know we could probably speak about this for three more hours, but I appreciate your time today and all that you've shared. Thank you. And if anybody wants to contact me directly, the best way is on LinkedIn. And uh, there's only one David C.M. Carter in the world. So there's about 9,000 David Carters. It's David C.M. Carter. Um, and I'd be uh, happy to connect with anyone. Um, as I said earlier, we'd like to find a couple of U.S. pilot companies, ideally between 500 and 5,000 employees, where the CEO wants to be a pioneer and get a competitive edge uh, and develop a company of character. And uh, and if there's any interesting angel investors over there who'd like to help us finish our fundraising, that would be welcome too. So David C.M. Means. Carter at LinkedIn. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, you've asked some great questions and I hope your audience enjoy the conversation as much as I have. So thank you. I've enjoyed it. I'm sure they will as well. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. 